Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Sea Report, brought to you by QAholespodcast.com. This is your host, Mr. C, and welcome to The Sea Report for Thursday, February 18th, 2021. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Sea Report. This is Mr. C. I hope everyone's doing great this evening. We have a nice cold still. It's still cold, cold, cold. It snowed again here last night in Texas. So we'll see how long this cold goes, goes for. We reported it here a few times, uh, basically since it started on the Sea Report. And uh, it is not let up. Um, yeah, what could be going on? Some people are saying hell has frozen over. Well, we'll see about that. But yeah, don't forget to check us out tonight at the um, Twitch for Q&A Holes podcast. We'll have the Mr. C and Magadon show live on Twitch. And uh, Q&A Holes podcast.com. Make sure you check that out as well. And uh, follow the blog, um, you know, stay up to date with what's going on over at Q&A Holes Podcast. Now, let's get to the news. Um, let's see. Trump leads. Scalise met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago this week. Oh, so Scalise met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago this week. This from Theodore Bunker. Representative Steve Scalise, Republican of Louisiana, the House GOP whip, paid a visit to former President Donald Trump this week where they touched base while the party remains divided over Trump's role in the GOP moving forward. Politico first reported the meeting, which took place on Tuesday, and notes that it came just a few weeks after House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California met with Trump at his Florida resort, where the former president has been residing since leaving office. Scalise's meeting with uh, was confirmed to CNN by a spokesperson. Scalise is in Florida this week on political travel and had meetings at Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday and touched base with President Trump while he was there, said spokeswoman Laura Fine. The move comes as Republican leaders in the Senate, which recently voted to acquit Trump on charges of inciting the Capitol riot, have attempted to distance themselves from the former president. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, said on the Senate floor that Trump could still face criminal prosecution for his actions, calling him practically and morally responsible for incidents. Senator John Thune, Republican of South Dakota, the second-ranking Republican in the upper chamber, suggested last week that he could support a resolution censoring Trump over the riots. I know there are a couple of resolutions out there. I've seen a couple of resolutions, at least, that I think could attract some support, Thune told reporters, according to The Hill. So, this is interesting, right? I mean... uh, We know that Trump will still be a political force regardless of where he is in the political landscape. 
Um, by that, I mean actively involved in politics as a president or a representative, which I don't see that happening. Um, or also, you know, just as, a, um, you know, like the founder of another party, uh, another political force. I, I honestly think that that would be an interesting and probably, to me, almost necessary step for him to take. Um, unless you know, through this, uh, now what is it? They're trying to censure, like, it's like they couldn't impeach him. So now they're going to try and go after him, after him civilly, you know, in civil court or whatever, you know, criminal court, whatever they're going to try and do with him. And if that doesn't work and he does get involved in politics again, like officially, they're going to try and censure him. They're going to try and basically gag him. Um, they're doing everything they can because they know that he could make a comeback. Um, if through this censoring and through through all this process, you know, Trump can identify exactly who's playing on whose team and or all the ones that need to get arrested, get arrested and all the ones that need to get kicked out, get kicked out and or we replace the entire Congress with a Congress that will approve, you know, I think it would be better for Trump to make a, a new party. Because with, se uh, what, 75... Let's just say from with 75 million to 100 million people who would, who would align with that party, I think that would go to show the establishment, which, you know, is already on its way out... I think it would go to show the establishment exactly that a third party could run and that the United States of America is not about a two-party system. But more importantly, I do also believe that it would show the American people that, that this country does not have to be a two-party system. And hopefully this whole ordeal has woken more people up to the fact that the Democrat and the Republican Party proper throughout the history of this country have been working from the same hand. And I mean, we all know that, you know, if uh, if you're if you're a Q&A whole podcast listener or maybe someone who has an idea about how the things kind of run in this world. And not, I'm not saying that I know how everything works, but, you know, I am saying that, you know, some things are rather obvious. So anyways, hopefully it's woken some people up to that, you know, but uh, because, you know, I think it was uh the first party was the Democratic Republican Party, and then it splintered into the Democrats and into the Republicans. And uh, that's basically where I think uh, you saw the people who were into slavery and who uh, were into uh, big federal government and, um, you know, loved, loved central banks all went to the Democrat Party and they acted uh, later on. In fact, like they were the party of the people. All right. Let's see. Next story here. Oh, the next story here, I I think is uh is a good story that I wanted to share. And so this is staying in this is staying in the realm of the United States of America. 
what we are doing here is just looking at uh, some of the uh, bills and legislation. Uh, South Dakota introduces bill to help protect Down syndrome babies from genocidal annihilation. This by Evita Duffy. A bill introduced by the South Dakota governor's office to ban abortions based on the diagnosis of Down syndrome was unanimously supported in the House State Affairs Committee hearing Wednesday. In cases where the mother, whether intentionally or unintentionally, fails to comply and gets an abortion on the basis of a Down syndrome diagnosis anyway, the bill says she or her supervisors can bring civil actions against the abortionists and the abortion facility. The bill specifies that the mother of the child cannot be prosecuted, and it also includes a section that says the proposed law would not apply to any abortion that is necessary to save the life of the pregnant woman because her life is endangered by a physical disorder if no other medical procedure would suffice for that purpose. Governor Christy Noem called for the bill in her state of the state address in January. European countries like Iceland and Denmark are on pace to virtually eliminate children with Down syndrome, Noam said in her address. They do this one way and one way only, through abortion. As South Dakotans, frankly, as human beings, we should all be appalled by this. We are better than that. Those who testified in favor of the bill, including representative from representatives from the Susan B. Anthony List and Charlotte Lozier Institute, South Dakota families who have children with Down syndrome, South Dakota Right to Life, and the South Dakota Catholic Conference. Among those who testif- among those testifying was Katie Shaw, a woman living with Down syndrome and who is a pro-life lobbyist and advocate for anti-discrimination abortion laws. Shaw explained her mother's her mother's doctors didn't mention abortion when she was given a prenatal Down syndrome diagnosis. Doctors told her parents she would need surgery the day after she was born to start planning what would happen to start planning what would help me to have a wonderful life. Help those with Down syndrome have a chance, Shaw told the committee Wednesday morning. Make the world more wonderful. And I'm going to pause right there to say yes. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. Um, I I did not know that about, uh, you know, Denmark and uh, some of those countries over there that I did not know that they were on course to have zero Down syndrome. I think that's I think that is a, a different kind of genocide. I don't know, scientifically speaking, if that is the proper term to use in that case. But to to do that, you know, um, something like that is just horrendous based on based on a diagnosis like that. And my experience, you know, um, individuals with Downs, um, they are the light of the world, you know, so I, I, I kind of like that the uh, I kind of like that um, this Katie Shaw told him to make the world more wonderful because I, I think that, you know, uh, I think that they do. Uh, the article goes back 
Tammy Fight, who testified alongside her family, told the committee she and her husband adopted their son, Cod, knowing he had Down syndrome. She added she knows many other families in South Dakota who would, who would do or have done the same. Down syndrome should never be a death sentence, especially in a society like ours that prides itself on diversity and inclusiveness, said SBA List State Policy Director Sue Liable. Here in the United States, as many as 67% of unborn babies diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. It is time our laws caught up with basic compassion and overwhelming public opinion. We are proud of Governor Nome and South Dakota lawmakers, lawmakers who are heading the charge to end the lethal discrimination, and we hope to see more states follow their example. Tara Sander Lee, Senior Fellow and Director of Life Sciences at the Charlotte Lozier Institute, stated in her testimony, Eliminating young lives is not the answer to eliminating disease and disability once a risk of the disorder is identified. Such acts become a modern-day form of eugenics. HB 1110 would provide necessary distinct protections for developing human beings at risk for Down syndrome, preventing discrimination based on genetics or disability. I'll pause there again because if you think about um, movies of the future, uh, movies about the future where they can actually like genetically um, not modify, but they can actually they can actually choose the genetics of their children. That's what this reminds me of. And so, if they're like, if you think about the movie movie Gattaca, um, you know, if they could identify that the baby would be born with Downs, they could then they could then decide to have that baby to not they could then decide whether to have a natural baby which means they would accept the down syndrome baby or they could decide to eliminate it and then you know uh take away genetically through their science of the future remove the downs remove any imperfections make them tall and beautiful and blonde etc but anyways that's that's kind of what this is and and that really is that it is it is exactly a form of eugenics it is a lethal discrimination um you talk about lethal discrimination you talk about discrimination that's just that's that's terrible all right well that's good to hear south dakota good job and may texas follow suit all right let's see here let's see what we got next in the news So, something, uh, some things have been happening with, uh, like, you know, my tech for recording the C-Report. The other day, uh, I think it was yesterday, I was going to do this whole spiel on Bi- the Biden town hall. And, you know, no one... I don't- no one really watched it. I mean, no one really talked about it. There were obviously some articles in uh, um, the aggregate that uh, kind of focused on some of the finer points of his, uh, you know, tumbling house of cards on the um, the episode. Um, it, it took place with CNN, of course, and um, um, Anderson Fat Cooper uh, was the host of it. Uh, they, they, they remained standing throughout the entire town hall, which I found kind of funny because I think 
Cooper didn't want anyone to see that big mid-roll he has now and, uh, and, and thighs. And Biden, well, I was surprised he could stand the whole time, to be honest with you. But then again, I don't know, maybe if he sat down, he wouldn't be able to get up. But, you know, it was just, um, it was a train wreck in the sense that from Biden's mouth to, you know, his aides and his legislators and his press reporters, um, mouth. (laughs) It's almost as if though it were two different administrations, like he made them all look like they did not know what they were doing, or he did not know what he was doing. I mean, he talked about how Saki had misreported, uh, the COVID-19 school return schedule. And, um, you know, he, he ran over his, his, um, he ran over his, uh, party, the far left, when he told him that he would fund the police. And of course, he would not make a $50,000 college debt cancellation happen. That was probably one of my favorite parts because I did watch it. I was probably one of the, you know, 20 people that watched it, but I didn't watch it until the next day. So I guess that doesn't count. I didn't watch it that night. I was busy doing other things. But um, before I was preparing the news yesterday morning, I was trying to, you know, go. I was uh, trying to go in on Biden. So I was like, oh, let me let me listen to this town hall. The whole damn thing didn't even, you know, record, basically. And I was at, like, maybe 20 minutes in. So that's why yesterday's episode was a little bit short. But, you know, Biden's town hall was just meh. Um, It also highlighted how he is really going easy on China. It's not just in, in policy or in legislation. I think it might also be in morality. Because uh, Cooper pressed him on uh, the genocide of the Uyghur people, and you know, being tough on by uh, being tough on uh, President Xi of China, and um, all that uh, Biden really could say is that, as far as American politics go, well, they frown on you know things like genocide. So it's uh, it's it's just a question of cultural differences. You understand, right, President Xi? And uh, Biden said that uh, President Xi gets it. So, you know, if uh, he goes hard on China because they're committing genocide against the Uyghurs over there, um, it's only because there's a cultural difference and he has to. You understand, right, President Xi Jinping? You understand. Um, I also thought it was a great example of how um, uh, the press, legislators... I mean, really downright anybody, maybe the, uh, maybe Obama, uh, um, Obama in his ear on that little, uh, that little, uh, you know, earpiece he wears all the time, um, that they really tell Biden his policy and, uh, he doesn't really always know what it is. I mean, Anderson Cooper had to remind him at least three times that moving forward with any legislation with immigration, there would be a pathway for citizenship for everyone who's already here. Um, And, you know, Cooper wouldn't let Biden moved on until he said, yes, of course. And he does go watch the town hall. Don't go watch the town hall. It was terrible. Um, It it was just all that love for China, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's a shame that Biden's morals 
are what's concerning here because he doesn't even seem to care that genocide is happening. He doesn't seem to care that they have um, organ, uh, organ harvesting hospitals in China. He doesn't seem to care that they oppress their people. He doesn't seem to care that... Um, you know, they control through propaganda a lot of what the people hear and see and even on the internet. He doesn't seem to care that uh, they're almost in an Orwellian society over there. They have facial recognition cameras and cameras everywhere on the streets. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the city of London or the, the city state of London or the city nation of London. Um, and I believe that they have uh, facial recognition and cameras everywhere there as well. And I'll never forget the first time I saw one of those things publicly. Publicly, It was at your local Wally World. That's right. I stopped into the, the local Walmart with a family member. And uh, when we were going through the herder, you know, that big corral where everyone pays for their own stuff. Um, when we were going through the herder, I noticed they had facial recognition on the TV screen monitors. And I was like, whoa, and it had those little boxes like just flying around everyone's faces. I turned around immediately or I, I put sunglasses on and and um, I think this was pre-COVID. So I don't think I had a mask at that time. So I was like pulling my shirt up or, you know, going the way of Antifa. I don't know. But like all I know is I was stunned that they had facial recognition cameras publicly being used Um, in the United States, but I guess I shouldn't be. But China, they're all about it. Um, Here is an article from Just the News. China extends online free speech crackdown, makes news political content providers get a license. New Chinese policy forbids bloggers from uh, writing about politics without approved credentials. The Chinese Communist Party is extending its crackdown on free speech, requiring bloggers and other online users to have government-approved credentials to post political-related content. Pause. So, you know, basically that means a program such as this, or Q&A Holes podcast, or any other independent political or news commentary show would not be able to exist unless illegitimate Joe Biden approved it. Back to the article. The law was mandated by the Cyberspace Administration of China and is set to go into effect next week. Ma Jiolin, one such politics writer based in China, was told to stop writing about issues relating to politics, economics, or military issues, according to the Associated Press. As an international affairs researcher and a columnist, it looks like I can only go to the route of entertainment, food, and beverage now, he said in a few weeks. Ma publishes stories on the Chinese microblogging site Weibo, which informed him of the new law. Weibo CEO Wang Gilfei said policy commentary is allowed, but posting breaking original news is not without the special permit. The wire service also reports. In recent days, the Chinese government also has banned citizens for using the new social media app Clubhouse on which they could communicate with others worldwide. So that's pretty intense. Um, Could you imagine a world where you couldn't write about anything you wanted to? 
Can you imagine a world where you couldn't make music or radio shows or podcasts about anything you wanted to? Can you imagine a world where you couldn't make movies or skits or TV shows about anything that you wanted to unless you had government approval? China leads the way on oppression, uh, freedom of speech, and human rights violations. Good one, China. So to that we say... In this article by Alex Nitzberg, a resolution calls for America to boycott the 2022 Olympics unless games are shifted away from China. The article says Representative Mike Waltz introduced a resolution on Monday calling for America to boycott the upcoming 2022 Winter Olympics if the games are not shifted away from Beijing, China, where they are currently slated to be held. According to Fox News, the Florida Republicans' resolution urges the U.S. Olympic Committee to propose the transfer of the 2022 Winter Olympic Games to a site other than within the People People's Republic of China. But says if the International Olympics Committee turns this down, the United States Olympic Committee and the Olympic Committees of other countries should withdraw from the 2022 Olympic Games. The congressman's resolution states that hosting the 2022 Winter Olympic Games in the PRC, in the People's Republic of China, where organized atrocities in the Zhuar are ongoing, where the freedoms of Hong Kong citizens are being trampled, where the fundamental right to worship is brutally persecuted, and in the wake of the ongoing global devastation from COVID-19, would be immoral, unethical, and wrong. Senator Rick Scott introduced a resolution earlier this month calling for the International Olympic Committee to rebid the 2022 Olympics to be hosted by another country unless China shows significant progress in securing fundamental human rights. Several other senators joined Scott in sponsoring the resolution. A resolution introduced in 2020 had also called for the International Olympic Committee to rebid the Games to another nation if China did not reverse course on human rights abuses and we'll see if they reverse course anytime soon personally i don't think that they will i think that as long as optically speaking they have biden in the white house they're gonna try and do whatever they want to do but we'll see what comes of that and let's see what else is in the news Staying on the international beat, Ireland and the Netherlands ended electronic voting after finding machines untrustworthy and failed security requirements. This article's from the Gateway Pundit. So wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that the United States of America wasn't the only country that had voting irregularities due to electronic voting machines? What? You mean this happens all around the world? Well, this is a primary example of why Myanmar's had a coup. Because they also had voting irregularities. You know, I found it, find it, I found it kind of funny because they actually had... I found a video um, recently 
in regards to the coup in Myanmar, Burma, over by India, that um, the military finally gave a presser. It was like almost an hour and a half long. And the only thing that I could say about that was it would have been lovely if it had been translated so that maybe we could hear as the international audience the other side of the story. I don't know. I I don't know heads from tails when it comes to uh, Burma and Myanmar. Same place, different names. Um, I do know that under uh, the Aung San Kyi presidency, regime, democracy, uh, that there was um, there was a, a genocide of uh, individuals, the Rongkia Rongkia Muslims, uh, otherwise referred to as the Bengalis. Um, there was a lot of information in regards to this genocide, and apparently it had been going on for a while, and it was being conducted by the military, but allegedly at the behest of the president who's now been detained in this military coup. This Ang Sukie. I know I'm missing I don't have her name in front of me. I apologize, folks, but so in light of the fact that there was a genocide going, she failed, even though she is a Nobel Peace Prize winner, she failed at humanitarian issues. Um and it was what? A handful of years of democracy versus, what, five or six decades of military rule. And then the military had to come back in. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens over there. But apparently they had issues in their electronic voting as well. So let's see what this article... I'll go ahead and reread the headlines since I kind of went off into a diatribe there. Ireland and the Netherlands ended electronic voting after finding machines untrustworthy and failed security requirements. And before I start this article, I will say again, did I not say baby hole punchers, baby hole punchers and paper that's uh, thinner than cardstock, but thicker than your standard printing paper. The article says the United States is not the only Western nation that has had issues with electronic voting. In 2020, several states witnessed abnormalities, uh, vote switching, and inaccurate vote totals in the thousands. A reader from the United Kingdom reminded us that Europe also had issues with voting machines and Ireland and the Netherlands banned voting machines a decade ago. I am a reader from the UK and follow events in the USA with a great deal of interest. You may be interested to know that this was a common problem in Europe via NEDAP voting machines, whereby their security was compromised. Ireland purchased NEDAP voting machines and subsequently destroyed them at a cost of £55 million due to security issues. I have attached a document to this email that explains this voting machine security issue that was faced by Europe and Ireland. I hope this information may be useful. The Netherlands decided in 2007 to withdraw uh, electronic NEDAP voting after finding them unreliable and failed modern, failed modern security requirements. So, this is from the report. The government acted quickly in the wake of the release of the commission's reports during the press conference in which the voting machine with 
the Voting with Confidence report was released on September 27, 2007, the State Secretary for the Interior announced that the 1997 regulation for approval of voting machines would be withdrawn. We do not trust voting computers had filed an administrative law procedure again against the approval of NEDAP machines with the District Court of Amsterdam in March 2007. On October 1, 2007, the District Court decertified all NEDAP computers in use in the Netherlands as a result of the judicial procedure. With the approval of SDU voting machines already withdrawn, this decision left no voting machines certified for use in in the Netherlands. On October 21, 2007, the 1997 regulation for approval of voting machines was officially withdrawn by Parliament, and the decree of, November, of October 19, 1989 was amended, taking out the provisions that gave the minister responsibility for new regulations on approving voting machines. This legislative action removed the possibility to certify any new voting machines. Likewise, in 2004, Ireland cancelled e-voting after finding the sec- secrecy and accuracy of the voting could not be guaranteed. Ireland has cancelled the use of electronic voting machines for the upcoming European elections in June after an independent commission said the secrecy and accuracy of the voting could not be guaranteed. The Irish government has spent 40 million euros on voting machines from the Dutch manufacturing NEDAP. The Irish opposition demands the resignation of the responsible minister for the environmental and local government Martin Cullen. There has been a fierce public debate in Ireland about the introduction of e-voting after technical experts raised concerns on the reliability of the voting machines and its software. In 2002, the Irish security firm Zerflow reviewed the NEDAP machines and concluded that manipulation of the voting process was possible. Experts and civil society groups have since then pushed for an independent, independent review of the source code and the implementation of a paper trail, voter verified audit trail. The paper trail should make it possible for voters to see the results of their voting on paper as they can't see what happens inside voting machines. The machine might display one vote to the voter and record something else internally. The paper ballot can also be used for manual recount if desired. The NEDAP machines do not provide such a paper trail. The Irish debate has prompted Dutch members of Parliament to ask questions about the reliability of NEDAP machines used in the Netherlands. Very interesting. So as you can see, and many Americans have already learned that a lot the Dominion machines, the Smartmatic machines, these people who are now suing to save face, suing to call the bluff of the people, and you know, someone like like Mike Lindell will probably go ahead and go through with the lawsuit. He'll probably follow through with it. Someone like Mike Lindell would probably follow through with it. Someone like Trump would probably follow through with it because they have the evidence to prove it. Um, I mean, after all. Trump did win uh, many of his trials. I mean, I think he only lost like a handful of them. I think he won like a third or two thirds of the trials uh, in regards to the fraud of the 2020 election. It's just the news never admitted any of that into the public knowledge. So um, that's just something to think about there. Um, but, you know, if, if um, you know, Smartmatic or... Dominion is going to sue someone like Fox or Newsmax. Of course, they're going to fold because they're on their side anyways. They're all working in cahoots. 
And that, my friends, is not a conspiracy theory. So with all of this COVID conundrum uh, going on still worldwide and uh, the Karens of the world getting mad if you don't wear masks and uh, the um, legislators of the world acting like they can uh, take away your rights and your freedom of movement, um, it seems that the tiny communist island nation of Cuba has almost finished preparing its own coronavirus vaccine. Cuba. This uh, article comes from Just the News. The largely impoverished island nation has long touted its pharmaceutical sector and advanced public health program. Despite bread shortages, hour-long waits for citizens to buy home goods and pharmacies that have run out of basic medications. The Cuban government now says it is on the verge of mass-producing a coronavirus vaccine that was developed on the island. Cuban scientists have developed four vaccine candidates, one of which will enter a final testing phase in March. An effective vaccine may help the country turn around its struggling economy. Officials in the country's communist-run government and scientists are also considering administering the vaccine to tourists as a way to boost the economy. Cuba's vaccine effort is not just focused on medicine and humanitarianism. There's a big economic payoff if they can get the virus under control. Richard Feinberg, a Cuba expert at the University of California, San Diego, told the New York Times, it will be... It will be not only immediate income, but a boost to the reputation of the Cuban pharmaceutical biotech sector, which will enable them to market other medical products. Cuba has long touted its pharmaceutical sector and advanced public health programs as evidence that its socialist economic system works well for its citizens, the newspaper also reports. The most promising vaccine, Sovereign 2, will be tested month next month on 150,000 people in Cuba and Iran, a country that has expressed interest in buying the drug. The country hopes to produce 100 million doses this year, which would be more than enough to completely inoculate the island of 11 million, in addition to any tourists. The vaccine requires several shots, each administered in two-week intervals, and does not need to be stored in a deep freeze, which may make it more attractive to developing countries that lack the machinery to keep so many frozen doses. I don't know about you guys, but I am not, I repeat, I am not going to get that shot. And I don't mean the Cuban one, obviously. I mean the American one. I mean, there's reports of people dying. There's reports of it, you know, people dying like even a a week or two after they've taken it. There's reports of people getting ill from taking the shot or the booster shot. And when did it become more than one shot? Like, I don't remember them ever saying it was going to be a round of shots, you know. But I don't know. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I don't trust it farther than I can throw my mother. And I would never throw my mother, so I would never trust it. You know, and and as far as the vaccine here in America goes, even our troops are turning down 
the CCP virus vaccine, the coronavirus, the control virus, the planavirus. Oh wait, sorry, that's that's uh that's the uh the 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 plantation. No, just kidding. That's where they're trying to keep us, guys. That's where they're trying to put us back on. I don't know. I guess it's a matter of perspective. Um, but this article from the Epic Times says one third of troops turning down the CCP virus vaccine says the Pentagon. About one third of the U.S. military troops have turned down the vaccine for the CCP virus or the novel coronavirus to the Pentagon on Wednesday. Major General Jeff Taliaferro, a top official in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the military has a two thirds acceptance rate for the CCP virus vaccine. Our initial look, and this is, of course, very early data, is acceptance rates are somewhere in the two thirds territory, Taliaferro said in a hearing. And of course, it varies by different groups. We believe that, of course, the vaccine is the right thing to do. It's clearly safe for our service members, Salifaro said, noting that military officials want personnel to get the shot. And we need to continue to educate our force and help them understand the benefits. Major General Stephen Nordhaus, the head of operations for the National Guard Bureau, told the panel that the National Guard had an acceptance rate of two-thirds to 70 percent, mirroring the military at large. Specifically, of about 916,000 doses administered to the Department of Defense personnel, 359,000 have received at least one dose, while 147,000 are fully vaccinated, said Bob Salisis, who is Acting Defense Secretary for Homeland Defense and Global Security. Salisis told the hearing that it'll probably be sometime in late July, August, before the DOD vaccinates its civilian, military, and contractor workforce. With new variants popping up across the globe, I'm not sure we can wait two years for the full flood and full food and drug administration approval representative mike rogers republican of alabama said in the hearing it's critical for our national security that every service member as well as dod civilian personnel and contractors receive vaccines as soon as possible previously the dod did not specify how many soldiers were declining the shot a spokesman for the agency john kirby told politico and other news outlets on wednesday that the dod doesn't have a system in place to track vaccinations among troops he dispelled the idea that the pentagon is withholding information from news outlets and the public nobody is hiding data kirby said we don't have a system in place across the services to specifically track data with respect to those individuals who, for whatever reason, are declining. Both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines for the CCP virus are under emergency use authorization by the FDA. It means the agency has not fully cleared their usage. And the Epic Times has reached out to the Pentagon for comment. So, yep, yeah, uh, people I know don't want to take it and will not take it. I know I'm not. I think if you... I think if you, I think you really should just take care of yourself. Personally speaking, don't allow my personal um, health ideas affect you in any way. But if if what the coronavirus is is basically just a, a flu that can be deadly to people who have a weak immune system or are predisposed because of certain conditions that they have, um, just take care of yourself. You know and. 
I'm not going to make any recommendations on this vaccine. I just don't think it's anything that is good, you know, for the human body, especially when all you have to do is just take some hydroxychloroquine and whatever else, zinc or whatever you have to mix it with to make it effective, you know. Anyways, I, I still smell a class action lawsuit when that stuff comes out to be honest with you, but we'll see what happens. All right. A couple more articles for you. Um, Facebook, (laughs) Facebook has just made the case for the reason why social media should be reined in and should not be given as much power as they have to disseminate news. And just to feel like, you know, they're the big brother know-it-all that gets to tell you what to do. Facebook has officially banned the country of Australia from the world. No news feeds, no nothing. All of that shut off to the country of Australia. Let's see what happens. This article by Daniel Teng, Facebook's Australia News ban justifies more big tech regulation. According to Chris Cooper, executive director at Reset Australia, Facebook's decision to pull news content from Australia justifies the need for better regulation around big tech. This is the biggest argument that could be made for better regulation around these platforms to mitigate the harms these reckless decisions have on our democracy, Cooper told Sky News. Facebook pulling news and recklessly removing Australians' access to reliable news um, beyond just news sites during a pandemic and the rollout of a vaccine just highlights what little regard Facebook has for the Australian people, he said. Facebook is essentially spitting the dummy after being asked to meaningfully participate in regulatory negotiations. Major news Outlets, including the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian, and the Epic Times, awoke on Thursday to find the tech giant had implemented an outright ban across their Facebook pages. However, a swath of non-media-related Facebook pages were caught in the crossfire with websites for the Queensland Health Department, the Bureau of Meteorology, and members of Parliament also finding their pages banned. While nonprofit organizations such as 1800 Respect and the, Author- the Australian Trade Union also saw their pages targeted. The ban comes as Facebook follows through on a threat to remove news content in response to the Morrison government's impending news media bargaining code. The code legislates a framework where eligible Australian news outlets can enter negotiations with Google and Facebook to pay for their content. However, despite initial resistance, Google soon came to the table and has spent the last week signing off deals with major media organizations. Facebook remained quiet until this morning when it initiated the ban. Google did work with the government to find a workable solution. Facebook are much more clumsy in that approach and also refuse to take any regulatory actions against them, Cooper said. And so they will just pull the plug rather than engaging meaningfully, even if the consultation is really about what's best for their users, the Australian people. So here you see. Now, I don't know what's up with this. Like, I don't know the skinny on um, the news media bargaining code. I don't know what's up with that. 
you'd have to ask, uh, was it Morrison over there in Australia? But could you imagine that? And, and that's something that could definitely come here because I always say if you want to look to what's coming to America, look to the crown colonies, look to what's going on in Canada, the United Kingdom and Australia. Because whatever happens there, shortly it's on our shores. Now, if you want to know what's next for the United Kingdom and the crown colonies, look to China. Because what's happening there will happen there and then it'll happen here. So, guys, just be aware. All right. So, yep, Australia. Totally cancelled by Facebook. And to end today's session for the Sea Report... Um, I didn't think I'd be doing a story about this woman at the Sea Report, but, well, sometimes you gotta. You gotta live a little. You gotta laugh a little. You gotta have your heart break a little. That's the story of, that's the glory of, the old hag named Bette Midler. Bette Midler proves again she's nothing but a bitter old harpy who hates children and puppies. That is the title of the article that uh, comes from uh, The Right Scoop. Bette Midler is once again proving she's nothing but a bitter old leftist harpy who hates children and puppies. Now, you know, I, I would totally agree with uh, I would totally agree with The Right Scoop on that. Um, she has been one of the loudest and most hateful people when it comes to um, speaking their mind about people that don't agree with her politics, when she talks about Trump, when she talks about conservatives, when she talks about the right. And to be quite honest with you, while I've always seen Bette Midler growing up as a, a funny lady, an actress, someone who I appreciated her acting um, and, and even her singing Guilty Pleasure, I never expected her to be such a hateful person. Um, in in regards to the uh, Texas weather, for example, uh, Bette Midler had sent out a tweet that said, hateful, vicious, cruel might all apply. I feel for the people suffering through this weather, but hashtag God doesn't seem to like hashtag Ted Cruz or hashtag John Cornyn. These two also never recognize that hashtag illegitimate Joe won. If this isn't payback, I don't know what is. That's the classic Bette Midler line. Um, not the illegitimate Joe part. That was my line. But anyways, yes. And then, of course, she took digs at Rush Limbaugh, who recently passed. Rest in peace, Rush. Hashtag Rush Limbaugh has gone to his reward. Bet it's hot. And then uh, she went on to say some more scalding and hateful things. She just never stops. She never stops. I just, um, I'm at a loss for words. But hey, this is America. And in America... You can damn well say anything you please. And uh, there's not really a threat of you getting slapped in the face by a conservative, at least. But now, Miss Bette Midler, if you were talking about a leftist, say she was talking about Che Guevara or, or Mao or something like that. What do you think the chances are that the radical left would whop her over the head with a bike lock? All right, thanks for tuning in to the Sea Report for uh, Thursday, February 18th. Make sure you tune again tonight. Live on Twitch, we'll have the Mr. C and Magadon show. And then we'll see you again on Saturday for the Q&A Holes Podcast's live call-in show 
Also on Twitch, check out QNAholesPodcast.com and we'll see you on the next edition of the C Report. This is Mr. C signing out and saying, stay warm. It's a cold one out there.